Hi, it's Erica Kohlberg. And before we dive into today's podcast episode, I have an exciting announcement that can help you save an extra $1,000 without having to penny pinch or change your lifestyle. On Monday, I'm running my free five-day savings challenge where you'll discover simple and creative ways that you can save extra money every month. And whatever you want to do with that extra money is up to you. I'll just show you how to save it. The challenge is totally free to join. All you need to do is go to erica.com slash go. Erica is with a K and you can secure your spot. By the way, these strategies that you're going to discover can help you easily save money, whether you're a budgeting novice or a finance expert, and they're going to get better and better throughout the week. But I have to tell you, I'm so excited about this and don't want you to miss out. In November of last year, we ran a savings challenge and had over 200,000 people sign up. And on average, people saved $1,005 that month through what they learned in the challenge. That means our challengers collectively saved over $200 million. So trust me when I say you don't want to miss out on this one. And the deadline to sign up to be part of this free challenge is Sunday, 11.59 p.m. Eastern Time. So make sure you secure your spot and get free access today. Again, that's erica.com slash go, E-R-I-K-A dot com slash go. See you inside. Why do we as a species engage in this colossal amount of self-destructive behavior? And we treat planet Earth exactly like we treat ourselves. We're powerless to stop our self-destructive behaviors. Millionaire entrepreneur Brian Johnson has taken his quest to remarkable levels. He spent $2 million working with a team of 30 doctors and medics to effectively reboot his body. He reckons he's managed to reverse his biological age already by five years. It changes everything about life. I mean, there's just nothing more important. The difference between hope and despair in life is a... You're listening to the Erica Taught Me podcast, the number one business podcast in the US, where we talk about entrepreneurship, money, and how to improve your life and achieve success. I'm your host, Erica Kohlberg. I'm a lawyer and personal finance expert with over 20 million followers on social media. Today, I'm talking to Brian Johnson. In 2013, he sold Venmo to PayPal for $800 million. Now, the 45-year-old tech mogul is in the headlines again, this time for spending over $2 million on reverse aging. At the time of filming, he had successfully reversed his pace of aging by the equivalent of 31 years. In this episode, Brian shares what led him to research age reversing, and he gives us three simple and free things that we need to do to be healthier. Let's get into it. I'm Erica Kohlberg, this is Erica Taught Me, and today we're here with Brian Johnson. You guys know that I love investing because you know that if your money is just sitting in a bank account, you're losing out to inflation every single year. That's why you invest it so that it grows for you without you having to put in any extra work. I've been using an investing app called Webull for almost four years, and I had them do something really special for my listeners. By using my link to sign up today, you can get between six to 12 fractional shares for free. All you need to do is open an account and deposit any amount, even a dollar, to claim your free shares. So just by depositing a dollar, you'll get between 6 to 12 free fractional shares. And if you're wondering what to actually invest in, we talk all about investing in episode 28, so go ahead and listen to that episode. To claim your free shares through my special link, just go to ericataughtme.com invest or click the link in the show notes. And it's Erica with a K. Again, that's ericataughtme.com slash invest. So not many people spend millions of dollars to try to optimize their health. How did you even decide that this was something you wanted to focus on? It was a convergence of a few different ideas. I love reading biographies, and particularly of people in different eras that did things that were impossibly hard to see or do in their time. And so in the early 21st century, when you pose the question, what would be the thing we could do right now which would change the future of being human? What would people talk about? If let's say there's a dinner party going on in, in the 23rd, 24th century, and they look back at the early 21st century and they say, amazing that humans did blank in this area. And if you ask that question, I think one of the more interesting responses would be, we figured out how to neutralize aging. Mm-hmm. And so that's really what I've been trying to do is, uh, there's two parts of this is slowing 
the rate in which you age because we're not going to solve for entropy and then reversing the aging that has uh, happened. And so if we were able to actually neutralize aging, it might change humanity in these fundamental ways, how we think about ourselves, each other, nation states, war, peace, how, what kind of future we want to build, the climate, our, you know, the sustainability of planet Earth. So to me, it represents a particular endeavor that explores a frontier that could change human experience. So the two points are slowing the speed at which you age and then reversing the aging that you've already done. Are the ways to achieve that both the same or are these two separate topics we need to talk about? They're different. Yeah. Okay, so maybe let's start with slowing the speed at which you age. How did you learn about it and what have you discovered? There are some things we can share with each other that we have a, a common understanding. For example, I could tell you my weight and you'd understand where that's in proportion. You, I could share how much money I have in my bank account. You also have an understanding. Social media followers, we have these shared numbers. Right now, there's not a shared number on how fast are you aging. Like a, a single number that captures the entirety of your life. Your sleep routine, how much alcohol you consume, whether you smoke or not, dietary protocols. And we do now have one, a test that actually measures your speed of aging. And it looks at DNA methylation patterns. And so I've been working very hard at that. My last measurement was 0.69, which means uh, maybe in a high-level way to explain this, I get September, October, November, and December for free every, every year of the 12 months. Who's deciding that that means that you get those three months free? Like, what determines that? Are there, is it testing every single organ to understand, here's the average 44-year-old, what the output level should look like, and then you are not there. You are yeah. ahead of that. Yeah. There's this concept of chronological age, which is when you and I left our mother's womb. And then there's an idea of biological age, which is you can look at a baby's heart and you can look at a 10-year-old heart and a 20-year-old, so on, into an 80-year-old heart. Those hearts uh, have different functions, characteristics, and different anatomical representations. You can basically say, you look at the heart, you don't even need to know the chronological age of the heart. You can just say, this looks like and functions like a 13-year-old. So you can do that with all the organs of your body. And then your body creates these patterns. So you can look at the patterns within your body and say, this is a pattern that's most representative of a 15-year-old or a 20-year-old or whatever. Some of these things are just healthy functions. So there's good data that you can look at your entire body. and You think of yourself as one age of when you left the womb, but really you're hundreds of ages your brain, your eyes, your ears. For example, my left ear is 64 years old because I had hearing damage as a kid and I shot a lot of guns. And so my body is hundreds of different ages as we've measured my organs. And so in terms of my speed of aging, you can look at the patterns that your body produces that uh, basically are tree rings. They, sh they tell you the speed of your aging. And so to give you context, from when I started to where I'm at now, I reduced my speed of aging by the equivalent of 31 years. So I now age at a pace slower than the average 10-year-old. So when you look at a 10-year-old, you don't think that these 10-year-olds are actually aging because you just see youthfulness. But humans accumulate damage throughout their aging damage throughout their entire lives. Uh, it's just as you get older, the aging damage accumulates faster because it's compounding upon itself. So my speed of aging has been dramatically slowed. And what's cool about this is if it could become a norm, like, oh, my speed of aging is 0.69, you're like, oh, yeah, my last test, I was 0.68. It's this really cool currency, uh, social currency, where then it's like, hey, do you want to go out and get drunk and stay out all night? It's like, nah, it's going to accelerate how fast I age. There's this intuition on what things are good for you, what things are bad for you. Even though we know these things, having numbers and science behind it changes the power one feels to say yes or no to certain cultural norms. Interesting. Do you think that is ultimately a good thing for us? I mean, I'm sure people have said to you, like, why don't you just live your life? What are your thoughts on that? Of all the reactions that people have to what I'm doing at Blueprint, I would say the vast majority of the knee-jerk reactions and observations are exactly wrong. People are making observations and they form conclusions in their minds about what this is and what it would mean for them. And I would say that I'll, I'll just take through a few. Like one, people assume I'm miserable. They assume I no longer experience joy for food. They assume 
that my life is so constrained now that I'm just in a dungeon doing these things. All those things are exactly opposite. I've never felt more freedom. I've never experienced more joy for my food. I've never felt more full of consciousness in my entire life. And it's hard for people to wrap their heads because it's a foreign thing for them. Maybe talk us through your daily routine and what it is that you are actually doing to reverse the aging process for yourself. The principle that we're working on is very different than how we typically do things. And what we're doing here is we're saying human opinions are, they have a place in society for it, but not here. It's data. And specifically, we're going to inquire of every organ in my body what it needs to be its optimal self. You, you, we know, for example, what a healthy heart looks like, a, a biological age and how it functions. So we're going to let the organs speak for themselves. So, hey, heart, how are you doing? What do you need to be your best self? And hey, kidney and hey, liver. They then report out their status with data. And we use biofluids, MRI, ultrasound, fitness tests, DNA methylation, everything we can measure. This huge pile of data, they speak. And then we look at scientific evidence. And then we create protocols. And then I follow that with exactitude. So noticeably what's missing in here is my mind. So I don't go to the grocery store and roll down the aisle and think, that's pretty marketing. I'll buy that. Or I don't go to the market. Like, that's really nice. I don't go to the menu. I don't go to the restaurants and look at menus. I don't go to the pantry and peruse if I want a snack. My mind is entirely out of the equation because my mind is nothing but trouble. So by having my organs speak directly and then having reference to science and measure it, it's this closed loop system. And so my daily protocol is basically doing exactly what the science says of how can my body be its optimal self. And so this is the first thing. I feel more freedom than I ever have in my entire life because I'm not burdened by having to make 20 complicated decisions every day on do I eat this treat or not? Do I have a second serving or not? Do I get the, the drink that has sugar or not? All these really complicated things that we all know. It's nine o'clock at night and you want to curl up to some ice cream and Doritos. I don't have to face those decisions anymore. It's, it's incredibly liberating that I don't have that emotional burden that I had before. So your daily routine, it's created for you based on what your organs and your body needs. I assume then we're talking supplements, we're talking a specific food regimen, specific exercise regimen. Can you talk through that? So I'll give you just an example of what the day is right now. And I will tell you what it is today, but tomorrow is going to change because okay. we're updating all the time. I wake up around 4.35 and the first thing I do is take my body temperature with uh, an inner ear uh, measurement. And my body runs about three degrees Fahrenheit cooler than normal. So my body temp will be around 95.9 Fahrenheit or 96.1. And it runs cooler because uh, I'm on caloric restriction. There's some interesting science showing longevity with the body running cooler. I know a lot of people are going to say, his thyroid's not working correctly. It is. <laughs> we measure my thyroid. All my hormones are perfectly uh, in balance. So it legitimately is my body's running cooler. And then I turn on a light in my bathroom that emulates sunlight. And so I get that exposure as I take a few pills for, I'm trying to increase my ferritin levels right now. So I take uh, some ferritin some, with some vitamin C. And then I weigh myself, body weight, muscle, fat, hydration, and I start HRV therapy. So I put a little thing on my ear, which is training my autonomic nervous system to be calm, to not be in fight or flight mode, but to be calm. What is it, an HRV system? HRV is heart rate variability. You can tap into your vagus nerve as it goes through your trigus here in your ear, and it goes down through your chest and your lungs. But it's a nerve that is used for a lot of interventions. And so it's part of your autonomic nervous system, and it has two branches. One, part of your, your nervous system says you're in fight or flight mode. Get up and get ready. And then the parasynthetic says everything's cool and chill. And you want to really reside in your parasynthetic place where you're calm and okay. You don't want to be stressed out and in this fight or flight mode. And so by doing that, you're stimulating the vagus nerve, and it's meant to help calm you. And so you have, I have these measures that I look at every night. By putting that thing on your ear, mm -hmm. so it's just calming it. It's a physical contraption that you put on. It's an electrode that uh, stimulates with electricity. Is this the same reason why sometimes when I go to a massage, they'll mm. massage my ears and say, oh, this is very good for you? Mm. I don't know about that. Oh. <laughs> and there's, <laughs> there's a lot of science on the vagus nerve and doing electrical stimulation. Okay. That, uh, so there's good science around it. So it basically keeps you calm. 
Yes, it, it trains your nervous system to say, uh, "Be calm, you're okay." You know, you're trying to have a, a non-stressful environment for your body. And does it last? Like, for example, if something loud drops on the floor, I'm going to freak out. Are you going to freak out? Yeah, we, we would have different responses. And I guess- You're going to have a more muted response to it? It could be measured. Yeah, but there are things, for example, I guess I forgot to say when I wake up, I measure my sleep via a wearable device, a whoop, okay. and I also have a, a bed, a temperature-controlled bed, which does it. And so I'll, as I'm doing those routines, I'll look at my sleep quality. Uh, for example, like in the past seven days, I've had seven perfect nights of sleep performance, 100%. And so I shared this on social media, and okay, so actually two points. Whoop, the company who does this, they they have quite a few subscribers, and they looked at my sleep quality and compared it to people who are my chronological age, and I was in the 99th point two percentile for sleep performance. What? Which was disappointing. Like, why? You know, why did I? <laughs> <laughs> why were you 99.9? But it's then I shared this publicly yesterday, and uh, people's reactions, you know, they were in disbelief, and so I don't. Before that, I didn't really understand where my sleep performance was. I knew I worked very hard at it, but it is abnormal how good my sleep is. I look at that data every day. And so the HRV is an, a contributor to how you sleep. Like If you are able to be restful and calm, it's easier to get a good night's sleep than if you're stressed and you're tossing and turning and you're rolling thoughts in your mind. So just trying to have a, a peaceful, calm state at all times. What do you think by looking at me my sleep quality last night was? The eyes are an okay measurement device, <laughs> but I want to, I guess the opportunity to respond to your question for me is not to give you my visual assessment. It's to call attention to that I distrust my eyes and I distrust my mind. Mm. I would much rather rely upon scientific measurement because most people, if they look at me, they'll say, that dude is pale and he looks like a vampire or an elf or whatever thing they want to say about me. And what they're saying in that is they're, whatever reason they are saying it, but they're basically saying, I'm using my eyes to make assessments about this person. And what they're not familiar with is I have hundreds of measurements from the leading scientific instruments on how to measure how fast I'm aging and my organs, but yet it's not in the common, it's not yet in the zeitgeist. Mm-hmm. That people are aware of that, oh, you actually can scientifically measure the characteristics of how someone's aging. They just think their eyes are the are the the ultimate scientific instrument. And so I wouldn't say anything. And I would ask you, do you have any data? Like, yes. Uh, okay, great. It. How did you measure it? I bought an Aura and it came yeah. yesterday. My husband has a Whoop, but I decided to try an Aura because I don't like the watch thing. Right. So it came yesterday. I put it on for the first night. So we have my first night of sleep results. That's amazing. Okay, so just for everyone listening, my total sleep was four hours and 43 minutes. Time in bed, five hours and 17 minutes. Sleep efficiency, 89%. Sleep score, 57% out of 100. If you're listening, let me guess. You have a passcode on your phone. And let me take another wild guess and say that you have a password on your computer. But why are so many of us okay just being completely unprotected online? We have no idea who has all our personal information online and whether it's the good guys or the bad guys who might be selling your information or worse. We're talking spammers, telemarketers, robocallers, people who want to know more about you and even where you live. My sister had her data leaked online and because of that, her identity was stolen and it was a nightmare to deal with. We had to lock down all her credit cards just for starters. That's why I'm excited to tell you about Aura, a sponsor of this episode. Aura can identify data brokers exposing your info and submit opt-out requests on your behalf. When I discovered it, I knew I had to try it out just to see if my information had been leaked online, which they let me see instantly after I signed up. And get this, for my audience, they're offering a free 14-day trial so you can see if your personal information has been leaked online. To find out now, go to ericataughtme.com aura to claim your free 14-day trial. Erica with a K and Aura is spelled A-U-R-A. Again, that's ericataughtme.com slash Aura. And I'll also leave the link in the show notes. I got nine hours and 28 minutes of sleep. My deep sleep was two hours and 34 minutes. My REM was two hours and 33 minutes. 
my WASO, which is how much time I was awake after going to sleep, was 32 minutes. Okay. Which that's a really important number uh, on an age marker for sleep. And then I was 95% efficient. I had five minutes of latency, time to go to sleep once I laid down. Mm -hmm. My respiration rate was 12.9. My HRV was 61. And I got 100% sleep performance. Looks like you've beat me. (laughs) Yeah. That's so interesting. So then when you wake up, you're checking it. Have you ever gotten below like a 90% sleep? Yeah, certainly. What happens? What went wrong those days to cause that? I traveled somewhere or one of my children, you know, had a bad night. They were sick or something. Like the events happen that uh, derail it. I've been working at this for several years. The difference between hope and despair in life is a good night's sleep. Mm -hmm. It changes everything about life and how you understand yourself and the problems in the world, I mean, there's just nothing more important in being human than sleep. Were you always like that? I mean, I assume as a tech entrepreneur, you probably grinded a lot in your 20s and 30s. I did, yeah. Sadly, I was building my company, Braintree Venmo. You've maybe used Venmo. Of course. Okay. So I did what was culturally rewarded at the time. So I was married, I had a few little babies, I was grinding in a startup, I was depressed out of my mind. I was leaving a religion that's born into. And so all of it was happening at the same time. So getting up with kids in the night, not having good sleep, and going through this existential crisis, and trying to build a startup that was really hard, and working through a challenging relationship. And that's just a disaster for health. And so it did, it, it grinded me into the ground. And once I sold the company, I kind of did a course correction in life. So we, I got a divorce, sold the company, left that religion, and then worked to try to recreate my existential existence. Like, why do I exist and what is, what's worth working on? And then working also to become a divorced dad. Like, how do you reposition, how do you reshape your mind to be in that new relationship structure? Yeah. And so, yeah, so Blueprint really is, I've been at the very worst end of hopelessness. I just can't imagine anything feeling worse than those moments. And so now I appreciate this side of it so much more. And a lot of what I've been doing at Blueprint has been repairing the damage I did to myself during all those years. Mm -hmm. And culturally, I think people will look back at this early 21st century, I guess in this time period, and think and observe we acted pretty foolishly in that we labor to move our technology forward, but we become martyrs for it. So we accept our decline and decay and we're willing to sleep under our desks and do all these crazy things so that our technology proceeds forward and outlives us. Meanwhile, we accept our decay. Then that technology is used to make us worse versions of ourselves, trying to get us addicted to all things, food and digital media and all the above. We're just in a really sloppy relationship with ourselves and society. And it should be the opposite. We should have ourselves as the single highest priority of improvement and technology should be a servant of our improvement. Not the other way around. We have it exactly backwards. I'm curious as you're talking me through this because I know your story a bit and you, your company Braintree acquired Venmo in 2012 for $26.2 million, And then you sold it to eBay in 2013 for $800 million. I know it's easy to look back now, now that you've had all of this success and say, I wish that I would have been better to my body, but do you think you would have achieved the same success had you been getting the nine hours of sleep and being doing what was optimal for your body? At Braintree, I was really scrappy. I bootstrapped the company, and for the first five years, we were profitable every month. We didn't raise any outside capital. And when all that stress was going on, one time this customer called in to get pricing, what we were doing, and I answered the phone, and I was a little snippy with him. And then a few minutes later, he called in again, and another one of my teammates answered it, and they said, yeah, like, I just talked to someone. He was kind of an asshole. I wanted to talk to somebody else. And I thought, oh, that is so sad. I'm deeply disappointed in myself that I'm that snippy and that I'm just unpleasant with other people, especially when this is a prospective customer. And I knew I was in the wrong place mentally, but the fact that it was manifesting itself in these interactions, and I, I, w- I do genuinely work very hard to be a good person, to behave positively in all interactions. And it was really this moment of reflection where I thought, it's going to be hard for me to be a CEO and build the culture I want to build in the company and the customer base I want to have if I'm in this state. And so I'd say 
I would not have believed myself if I could have explained to my former self how good I would feel if I would have taken care of the basics. Mm -hmm. I would have built a better company. I would have made better decisions. I would have uh, done everything better. So yes, I think we could have accomplished the exact same thing and been substantially better had I had those basics in place. What do you wish that you could implement in the tech world now to make that actually a possibility? Because when you have leaders like Elon Musk talking about how the hustle culture is very much alive and you need to grind and work hard, it makes it hard for anyone to feel like it's realistic to be able to build a big company while at the same time having this balance of keeping yourself healthy, getting the right amount of sleep. What's wrong with the tech world and can it be changed? Or is this just a cultural issue that you don't see much hope for? That hustle culture that he encourages is a past era. It's a dying era, literally a dying era. And it doesn't take into consideration that we have stepped into a new place of being human, one where you can dramatically change the speed in which you age and potentially even reverse the aging damage that has happened. It's a new era of being human. And norms are simply a momentary snapshot of time of what humans think is reality, they will surely shift with the sands. I mean, they will surely shift just like the sands do. And so it represents nothing other than a flippant opinion of some human, but it does not reflect the technological and scientific realities of where we're at with aging. Mm. And so when I look at the, in this current situation, if we again imagine people in the 23rd to 24th century looking back and saying, what happened in the early 21st century that fundamentally changed intelligent existence on planet Earth? I come at this question having read over 100 biographies of people in their time and place who identified impossibly hard things. And the way that is useful to frame this is talent hits the target no one else can, genius hits the target no one else can see. So an example, and I call this a first principles thinking is, is hitting the talent, zeroth principle thinking is genius. So like what, what's an example of that? Einstein's special theory of relativity, where he said space and time are relative. That's always been true in the universe. We just never discovered it. So we discovered something true that existed. We just couldn't see it. So if we say right now, what is true? We just don't see it. It could be neutralizing our aging would be the thing that changes intelligence since on planet Earth. And that happened in the early 21st century. So what I've shown to Blueprint is this process of empowering my organs to run me, not my mind, and dramatically, and showing and sharing all this data and having pretty dramatic results. I've shown that an algorithm takes better care of me than I can myself. Mm -hmm. So just like a autopilot on the plane flies a plane safer than a pilot can, just like right, all the examples we know where computational intelligence does things better than humans can, we see that and we adopt it. We say, yes, that's better than what we can do. We're going to bring it into our lives. I'm potentially the first human in history that has shown an algorithm can take better care of my well-being than I can, which means it's inevitable for everybody. And no matter what you want to say, like if you want to, how, no matter how hard you want to hit back, no matter what arguments you want to put forward, even if you want to hate me, it doesn't matter. We oftentimes go kicking and screaming into the future. And we accept that when things are more efficient, we do them. So yes, it's going to ruin your all-night drunkenness is going to probably put a damp, you know, it's going to probably not make your smoking habit delightful anymore. It's going to fundamentally change, but uh, it's a demonstration and these things have far-ranging impacts. So I think culture is shifting in a way where hustle culture is, see, is seen as foolish because you're literally spending your life points as a martyr for technology. Why would you ever do that? It's so silly. I want to kind of dig into your motivations for this. So if I'm assessing this correctly, I kind of see three buckets for why you are doing what you're doing. One would be personal. You personally want to feel better. You want to live longer. You want to reverse aging. One would be, I guess, good to the world. So almost philanthropy for you. So you know that the world will be better when people can live longer and be healthier and have better outcomes for their bodies. So you want to create the solution or at least create education around that. Three, of course, you are a business person. You've sold a company for $800 million. Like, of course, you have the business mentality of this could become, if this does become the next thing, 
this could become a very big business. And we've we've already seen micro evidence of this. The fact that you and I, you're wearing a whoop, I'm wearing an aura. Like people are getting interested in this, but this could present a major business opportunity, especially if, if you have the title of being the first disruptor here, right? Am I correct? And how would you break that down for me? You're right. Personally, this came from a situation where I frame this as evening Brian. When I was in the difficult situation of the startup grind and three little babies and a challenging relationship and leaving my church, every night at 7 p.m., after bathing the kids and putting them to bed and telling them stories, I would overeat. And it was my effort to try to soothe my unsoothable pain. I felt so miserable in life. It was just unbearable that eating would somehow give me some stimuli to offset that miserableness. But the moment I was finished eating, I would feel worse than I started before, right? I would feel ashamed and I would feel awful because I was too full. I'd feel sick. And then I would get terrible sleep, which would then make it all worse. And then the next morning I'd wake up with all this enthusiasm, like I'm not going to do it today. I know that's bad for me. I feel terrible. There was nothing virtuous about that situation. And then I'd repeat the mistake again and again. I'd do it for years. And I was helpless to stop myself from engaging in this self-destructive behavior And it was such a weird thing. I thought, like, why, as an intelligent being, do I engage in this terribly self-destructive thing that's just ruining my life and making me a terrible person? Mm -hmm. And that's when I playfully said, evening, Brian. So you, Brian, who occupy me from 5 p.m. to 10 p.m., you're typically tired from the day. You're stressed out. You're not in a good state of mind to be making decisions about food. You never make good decisions. So therefore, you're fired. And it was the first time I recognized myself as many, not just one. Like there's like morning Brian, afternoon Brian, in the mirror Brian, after therapy Brian, all these different versions. And that became my way of inching in power. And so I gave him a name and I would, when he'd show up at night, he would walk into my mind at like 7 p.m. on the dot and be like, hey, I'm here. Should we have, what tonight, brownies tonight? Should we <laughs> ice cream? Right? It's like, no, thank you. You're fired. And I'd watch in my mind as I denied him power He would throw tantrum on the floor. He would punch holes in the wall. He would just throw an absolute fit because his authority had been taken away from him. And it was the first time I started really understanding this whole psychological thing that goes on within all of us. And that's, so yes, from that personal perspective, it was an observation. Why do we as a species engage in this colossal amount of self-destructive behavior? Mm -hmm. We do it, every one of us does it. And it's amazing that we do it. We say the most, we're the most intelligent species on this planet, yet we do this awful thing. And then if you look at it more broadly, we treat planet Earth exactly like we treat ourselves. We're powerless to stop our self-destructive behaviors. We're, we're literally grinding ourselves into this unhabitable state. And to me, it was like this moment where I thought, this is it. Like This is the moment of a talent the target no one else can hit, genius is the target no one else can see. Uh, this is it. We assume our minds have unquestioned authority. When we think about a problem we want to solve in life, uh, what school to go to, what to eat, who to partner with, we think our minds are the unchallenged authority. When for me, my mind was really my self-destroyer. And so that's when I, I made the shift to put my, my organs in power. And so I guess like um, overall, yes, the personal side is like stopping my own self-destructive behavior. And then like you're saying, number two, after I left the church, it was a question of, okay, I exist. <laughs> Lucky me that I exist. I didn't ask to exist. I just am here right now. I kind of like it. Like, this is a fun thing to exist. Let's keep on existing. And that's all I could come up with. It, I didn't think that I was going to solve any existential philosophical questions or whatever. I just thought everyone can just play. And so I thought, what could I do that could allow all of us to play infinitely into the future. And that's what this is all about. It wasn't about making money. It was just simply in this 21st century, if I had to put my finger on one thing that could change the course of humanity and allow all of us to exist, to play the games we want to play, what is it? And that's what I was trying to get at is structurally, what is the future of intelligent existence on planet Earth for centuries to come? It's very interesting. I am curious because I'm sure even if it is not the motivation, you have thought about the potential business objectives here. Do you have like a traditional business plan written out? What is the model to get to profitability here? None. I've had zero commercial intentions. So I did this. I published everything online for free. So I've spent millions of dollars. I have 30 doctors on the team. I share everything openly with everyone and everyone can freely do it. And so I've made something that's cost me millions 
somebody in the U.S. can do it for $1,500 a month. That, you, that includes their groceries. And so I've really just been trying to, to make a change. Uh, what happened is once this thing gained global notoriety, because I link out to everyone, all the suppliers I have, every one of them ran out of their supplies. <laughs> no one could buy anything <laughs> to do it. And so I am looking now into doing something that would make it easier for people to do Blueprint. Because right now it's pretty hard. Like If you go to the website, you can see recipes, you can see what I do, but putting together the entirety of it is hard, especially if you don't have any help. And so I've been trying to figure out if there's something I could do for it, but it legitimately, it never started as a business. It started as an exploration into something that is possible. Because, I mean, truthfully, you have enough money to be do nothing for the rest of your life and be totally fine. So are you saying that money just does not motivate you at all anymore? I'm saying that I was prioritizing thinking about the future of intelligent existence more than making money. I also think another primary reason why this will not work for the majority of people is the majority of people do not have the self-discipline that you do. So imagine we are all on a spectrum. You are probably here. I am probably here. And the average person is like middle ground. Self-discipline, by the way, you can have different levels in different areas. So for work, I have great self-discipline. For my personal life, I do not. Again, yeah, you're a martyr for work. You're willing to destroy yourself for your work, right? It's true. <laughs> Maybe. So like when I look at the stats, the majority of Americans don't have $1,000 saved up. The majority of Americans are obese. Like it leads me to think that Maybe that is a self-discipline issue in some ways. For many people, not. But in some ways, that is a self-discipline issue. So that's my other, my fourth yeah. argument. <laughs> yeah, and it's fair. The expectation is not that people are going to implement Blueprint into their lives on their own. It requires too much effort. It's too hard. The, what I'm trying to do with this is I'm trying to demonstrate if you let the body speak and if you give the body control, it actually gives us the life we want. If that's true, then we as a society would do better at rebuilding society around these norms. So it's crazy what we currently do. Right now, when a person goes to work, they have to drive by or walk by 20 fast food restaurants, 20 places they're going to sell them a 50-gram sugar drink. They have to navigate the addiction of every social media platform. They have to avoid binge-watching then drinking with friends, and then binge-watching again, and then every food is built for you to be addicted to it. Mm -hmm. And then and ev our godlike technological powers are built around addicting you to ever more higher dopamine hits of the stuff. It's, we have pointed our godlike powers to addict humans to everything to make them the worst version of themselves. We are insane as a society. The blueprint is meant to call attention to the fact that there's potentially a better way of doing it, and it's not asking the individual to do it. It's too hard. It's to rebuild society so this is the new norm. Humans are amazingly powerful in norms. If something is normal, everybody wants to be normal. And they, if someone's not in the normal curve, you want to call people out in the normal curve. If it's normal to get high-quality sleep and normal to eat your veggies and normal, normal, all these things, we behave very differently as a society. So this is, this is really a commentary on the future of being human. It is not speaking to those who need to have discipline. It's just not, when you look at the bell curve of, of society, it is not a reasonable thing to expect. So in your mind, let's say you spend the next 10 years working on Blueprint. What would indicate to you that it was successful and what would be indicative of it was not successful? The early signs of success for me are in my social media interactions, people are signaling to others their habits which are counter-hustle culture, and they feel comfortable signaling their success with sleep stats or biomarkers or bioage. As part of this endeavor, I created the rejuvenationolympics.com. And so I, I refer to myself as a professional rejuvenation athlete. I'm not a biohacker. I'm not someone doing this. I'm not a health and fitness enthusiast. I'm a professional rejuvenation athlete, and I take it very seriously. And so when you look at LeBron James and the way he eats and the way he takes care of his body, no one's like, he's insane. They think that's amazing. He's a professional athlete and he performs on the court when he does that. Mm -hmm. Same thing with me. It's a different shift of mind. But I created a leaderboard for people's speed of aging. So if you're serious about health and wellness, it doesn't matter if you want to talk a good game, put your points on the board. Show people where you're at. And so it, create, it creates a, a competitive professional sport 
out of anti-aging. And it helps uh, punch through the noise of all the stuff people are saying to, to do. Just look at the data. And it makes this, it's this healthy competition. So I like to say Blueprint is the best wellness protocol ever built in human history. Prove me wrong with your personal data. Okay, I'll give you a few things. Okay, so success in 10 years would be, I'll cite a few things. One is in a normal conversation between any random people in society, they could swap information about aging characteristics. They could tell each other how fast they're aging or their other characteristics of the aging. It'd be that easy to get tested and to know. Two is that rejuvenation would be seen as a professional sport on par with others. Three, that there would be a cultural shift that would lean towards frowning upon fast food and sugar and other things that it's a bad thing for society to be doing this. And fourth is the culture of work, that there would be an emphasis on the quality of thought, grind culture where you're accelerating aging, disease, and decline would be viewed as foolish. I recently went on an anniversary getaway with the husband and it was beautiful. Here's everything I got for free. We got free business class tickets for an international flight, which meant, yep, you guessed it, I got free access to the lounge where we could kick things off with a glass of champagne. Then we got a free stay at a five-star hotel where we could relax and go to the beach. Okay, so now I'm sure you're wondering how I got it for free, and you know I don't get keep, so here's the insider knowledge you need to know. I did it by signing up for a free built credit card. Built is a credit card that lets you earn points just for paying your rent, and there's no extra fee. And when I say free, I mean free. There's no annual fee for the credit card, and they don't charge a transaction fee for paying your rent with the card. You'll also earn two times the points on travel and three times the points on dining. Once you get your points, you can transfer them to travel partners like airlines and hotels to then get the free business class flights or five-star hotels like I did. To sign up for this card, go to ericataughtme.com slash built. Erica is with a K and built is B-I-L-T. Or to make it easier, go to the link in the show notes. Again, that's ericataughtme.com slash built. One of the things that I've seen people say online is, oh, Brian, this is so unattainable. No one else can afford to spend millions and millions of dollars per year on reversing aging and slowing down that process. What do you say to them? It's accessible to everybody. There's power laws here for benefits. So I'll give you some practical things that people can do. One is treat sleep like a lighthouse. There's a funny story where there's a Navy captain woken up, goes to the top of the ship and gets a radio. I'm using the wrong word here. Gets a radio from another ship that says, we're heading uh, your direction. We're going to collide. Change your course by 30 degrees north. And the radio back, no, you change yours. 20 degrees north. And he says, I'm a four-star blankety-blank with leading this thing thing and flexing all his power. And then he gets a radio back, I'm a lighthouse. <laughs> Sleep is a lighthouse. You never have authority to negotiate with sleep. No social event, no late-night work assignment, no movie, nothing has the authority to change sleep. So number one, the, the highest value thing anyone can do in their life, establish a bedtime and go to bed at that time every single night, never fail. And then you can do other things to optimize sleep. For example, like I eat my, my last meal of the day at noon. So I have you know, almost eight to 10 hours of digestion time. So when I go to bed, I'm not full, which is really helpful. I also don't drink alcohol uh, anymore. Um, I used to drink three ounces a day in the morning. I don't anymore. Not because it's bad, just because I couldn't afford it from a caloric perspective. But anyways, that aside, go to bed at the same time. I watch what you eat, because uh, sometimes what you eat can lessen the quality of your sleep. I have the fortunate uh, circumstances where I can sleep in my own room, which is helpful. Not everyone has that. If you can sleep by yourself, I have a blacked out bedroom, so it's entirely devoid of light. And then I do a lot of uh, sound control. Anything that's going to sleep, it changed my disturbance. But Getting control of your sleep is the number one highest value thing in your entire life. The difference between hope and despair is getting a good night's sleep. Mm. Uh, number two is identify the worst version of yourself. So for me as Evening Brian, everybody has an Evening Brian in them. Identify who they are, when they show up, what arguments they tell you to do, and fire them. 
So they're the person that's most responsible for your most self-destructive behavior that makes the rest of you feel awful, but recognize this self-destructive thing. And so even if you just get those two basic things in place, you're well on your way. So many people make funny self-aware comments while they'll be watching my content online and they'll say, uh, I'm watching it and it's 3 a.m. and I've got a bag of Doritos in my hands. And so (laughs) you can win in big ways just by getting basics right in life. You don't need to do all the fancy stuff I do. Just get sleep right, uh, get the self-destructive behavior right. If you're feeling good about those, those steps of progress, you can then do other things like eat more vegetables, eat more berries, but you can just slowly step into this but getting those, those are the hardest two things to get into place. And if you can succeed at those two things, everything else becomes so much easier. I know you have this team of 30 doctors that do all of the research and advise you on all of this. What are the insights that they are bringing to you? Besides the sleep and food, what else have they shared with you that you think our audience can benefit from? What I've been trying to do is in the world of health and wellness, there's thousands of opinions. Choose your guru. And what I've tried to say is, there's going to be no opinion from Blueprint. It's just data, scientifically valid data. And I've tried to punch through all the noise and say, I'm going to share everything I do and all my data. And so therefore, you have a clean understanding of you do Blueprint, a rough idea of what you're going to achieve with your health. Because otherwise, if you're talking about any kind of take your guru diet, there's no data conversation, whatever their story is. Mm -hmm. And so I've tried to make it easy. So if someone says, I want to be a better version of myself. They say this one thing, I can trust it because there's data behind it. So I've tried to bridge the trust issue, which everyone has. And uh, because a lot of people just jump from thing to thing to thing and it doesn't work. And then they they do what you said, which is they do a thing for a while and then they kind of burst in flames and they become worse. (laughs) So it's like incrementally getting worse every time. So I'm trying to make it easy to say, if you want to be a better version of yourself, don't worry about doing all the research yourself. Don't worry about reading blogs, listening to podcasts. Like You don't have to go into the scientific literature and research it. I've done it for you. Here's a protocol. Just try to solve the things that stop you from doing these things, like sleep, like self-destructive behavior. Like just focus on those things, but don't. A lot of people will be like, do you take NR or NMN? Do you take this or that? And it's like, no, no, no. Like Just get the basics right, and then you can optimize for those fine-tuned things later. Can you give me examples of some of this data that you found? Over two years, so the the high-level results for Blueprint, I've reversed my epigenetic age by 5.1 years. My speed of aging is reduced by 31 years equivalent, now aging at slower than the average 10-year-old. I have 50 perfect biomarkers in the optimal clinical outcome range. So this is like cholesterol, triglycerides. These are the phenotypic markers that you can point towards clinical data. I have 50 perfect markers. 100 markers, uh, biomarkers that are less than my chronological age. I run three degrees Fahrenheit cooler than someone else. So if you look at my, all my data says the exact same story. It's all pointing in this direction. I do, I do whole body MRI, looks at the fat and muscle of my entire body. I do fitness tests, I do DNA methylation. You name the test and I've done it and I share the data. But are you experimenting with different things? So like one month, are you trying to add more raspberries into your diet to see if that improves things? Like what is the process of figuring out what is that optimal diet? And then how often is that changing? How often are you adding, like are you doing control and variable studies? We are controlling as much as possible with all these variables. We don't do a, a single variable control because we move so fast. We do a multivariable control. And Blueprint is not, what the current regimen is, is not to say, We've looked at every permeation uh, possible in history and done all of them. It's to say, we've looked at the data, we've implemented the protocol with the scientific protocols, and we have one that works for me. So Blueprint, I'm vegan by choice, but not by necessity. Blueprint says nothing about meat. It's not a war of carnivore versus vegan. It's just simply to say, if a person chooses to be vegan, can they and can they achieve optimal clinical outcomes? If a person wants to eat meat at Blueprint, fine. Like, do it as well. Just share your data. So it is not to say I've sorted through the entirety of all things. This is why I put out the provocative statement, Blueprint is the best wellness program ever built. Now, if somebody can disprove me wrong, great. Like, that's the best possible outcome because now you've got competition where you have data showing two different competing options that people can attach to. What I'm trying to do is not be number one. I'm trying to invite competition 
of a variety where data is the conversation medium, not human opinion. Mm -hmm. If you've got human storytelling and whatever else, it's just, it's not helpful. And so I'm trying to incite competition where people want to be the number one spot. And that then helps everyone else. So if everyone's like, I just want to like do something that's good for me, they've got a few options that are data-based. Got it. Okay, so you were talking about sleep, number one, food, and then not engaging in destructive behaviors. Can you give examples of those destructive behaviors? They're the things we all realize. So it's eating too much food, eating the wrong kind of food, not prioritizing sleep, excessive drinking, excessive smoking, or not excessive, just smoking, period. Uh, yeah, like those are like the big ones that most of us engage in. What have you found about how stress plays into that and trying not to engage in high-stress activities or things that make you feel stressed? Well, this is the thing. In my previous version, of when I was running my 10-year-old, 10 years ago, Brian, I was on a roller coaster of emotions mm -hmm. and I was chasing my next hit. I wanted to know I could indulge in a certain kind of food or do a certain thing that was going to somehow bring me some pleasure because I felt so miserable. So I was chasing dopamine constantly. And that's what most people do is they chase it. I never would have guessed how stable I feel. I don't feel like I need to chase anything. I never thought that was possible. I just feel steady and fine, and I don't feel addicted to any given thing. It's liberating. This is why it's so counterintuitive when people look at me, they say, oh, that's so constraining, and this is an awful way of existing. And it's actually more stable, more liberating, more expansive in the consciousness I feel than being addicted to this machine of having to you know, continually taste, chase dopamine. Do you think stress is related to that dopamine? Like, do you think we encounter stress because we're chasing dopamine? You need to address the stress situation, right? And, and we think the relief valve is, like, is eating or name your self-destructive behavior. Like we, we use these self-destructive behaviors as coping, mechanisms. as coping mechanisms for what we feel. And so then it just becomes, and once you get in there, then you become addicted to it and then you chase the addiction. So it just kind of leads to this cascading situation. And so they, that goes back to the first of our conversation of why I do the HRV therapy, like trying to get my nervous system to be calm. I try to get my daily routine to all be systematic. I try to eat very healthy foods. I'm trying to keep myself in a calm and steady state all the time. Sleep is consistent. Diet is consistent. Emotions are consistent just across the board. So I'm not swinging and it, you know, it clouds your mind and you're snippy sometimes and groggy and irritated. And I imagine you have a pretty good control over your external circumstances. So of course you have your kids, they can get sick, that can lead to stress. But in terms of work, you own the company. It can be stressful, I'm sure, but you kind of can self-regulate that. So how much does for stress and trying to manage that and not falling into these uh, coping mechanisms, how much can people control versus yep. extra? Yeah. I don't yeah. have a good way to yeah, ask no, I that. I, I appreciate your question. I've been in every variation. So I understand what you're saying. And different circumstances are more challenging. So I grew up without a lot of money. My, we were pretty poor. My mom used to make me clothes when I was going to school. We didn't buy them. So I've been through every version. When I was an entrepreneur, I, I didn't make money for 10 plus years. We had no money. I was up to my eyeballs in credit card debt. So I didn't come from money. I was never given anything so I understand all the places people are in. I had three little babies at the same time, no help, no money, like all those things. So independent of anyone's circumstances, we can all find wins of making baby steps towards these points. So for example, something small like establishing a sleep culture in family. Like, hey, everybody, we're going to get together. We all agree that our sleep dramatically affects how we are in life with each other. And by, we become like each other when we spend time together. So we're going to commit to each other. We're going to be our best selves. And we're going to have sleep family hygiene of the following things. And it could be a list of things. Like, for example, my son and I, we have sleep hygiene culture in my, in my house where when our bedtime arrives, it doesn't matter what we're doing. It doesn't matter what show we're watching. It doesn't matter what conversation we're having. It does not matter what's going on. We stop and we run to our bedrooms. And we do so in this comical way where we kind of laugh at each other, but we're signaling to each other this is how important sleep is because we both know when we see each other in the morning, we both want to feel our best selves and we don't want to rub off on the other person being ornery or grumpy because we had a bad night's sleep. So we've committed to each other to these, these norms in our side of our family. So there's wins people can have independent of wherever you're at in life. 
And the same with the self-destruct behavior. Like, these are not secrets. We all know these are things are bad for us, right? And so just encouraging each other of like, we, you, none of us want to be doing this. Yeah. I want to dig into sleep a bit more because I know you've said that it's a huge priority. I've had so many people tell me it is important. But I also hear just so many different things about it. So I hear that you have to go to sleep within a certain window. You have to make sure that, you know, you don't eat three hours beforehand so that you can sleep properly. All of these things. What are the three main things about sleep that people should know? Consistency, no alcohol, and a sleep environment. That is, if you can black it out, if you can keep noise down, I'd say those three things. Just try to control those variables so you have reliability in that. From the data that you have, was it able to tell you that, Brian, you need to be asleep by this time. Your optimal sleep time is nine hours and 39 minutes. Like, is all of that data something that you were able to find out? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, so I've been doing this for uh, over 770 days. And so I've run hundreds of experiments on what kinds of foods I can eat, what I can eat, what kinds of stress impact me. I mean, because I measure this stuff every single night. Mm -hmm. So my intuitions are now so good. Like I can wake up in the morning, I can predict my sleep stats based upon how I feel. Like I just know because I've, I've learned how to build these intuitions. So my routine is based upon all my experimentation, but it differs person to person. So I go to bed earlier than later, but some people do better going to bed later. So Blueprint says nothing about there being one right answer. It just means there's a process of trusting your organs and trusting the data and trusting science, not trusting opinion. And so it's just a process people go through. If you get on that routine, then you can you can slowly find your way to your right path. But generally, no matter what time you go to bed, consistency, environment, and no alcohol are good three starting points for anybody. Okay, food then. What are the three biggest takeaways people have to know about food? I do a, a caloric restriction diet. So caloric restriction is one of the best known scientific ways to have positive aging effects. And so the recommended daily allowance for someone like me is around 2,500 calories a day. I eat 2,000, so about 500 calories less than. I've been doing this for a while. And so if you basically say, the, the, the objective here is, how can I be in caloric restriction, 2,000 calories a day? And if I ask every organ in my body what you need to be in its optimal state, what does it ask for? And then how do you confirm that with data? And so currently I have the 2,000 calories in three meals. I take over 100 supplements. And then I do an hour of exercise every day. And then we just let the body report out, how are you doing? This, the expectation is not that people are going through 100 supplements. What I'm trying to show is if you allow the body to speak and you're able, it can report out how fast it's aging, what its biomarkers are, what its phenotypic markers are, and you can just allow it's like, hey body, how is this going to treat you? You can get all the answers. And that's what I'm trying to show is in the frontiers of anti-aging science right now, if someone were to follow a perfect protocol, what is possible. And that's what I'm trying to be is an example of what is possible. So there's a data point. Not that everyone's going to follow this to the exact T, but the advice is eating less <laughs> would be great. Uh, eating the right kind of foods is helpful. So like, again, this is like stop self-destructing. Like just don't eat potato chips. And <laughs> stop eating the sugar. Like try to remove the bad stuff and eat a little bit more of the good stuff just as a starting point. Okay, so avocados, yes or no? Yes. Blueberries? Yes. So basically sugar. No. <laughs> so is it, is it that simple? Eat anything I want as long as it's not sugar or processed foods? I remember when I was bopping from thing to thing, keto, uh, the way I understood it was like, you can eat as much fat as you want so long as it's blank. So like load up on the bacon and the butter and like whatever, just like go to town and you can eat as much as you want because you're in ketosis. This blueprint is a hyper-specific thing to say organ speak, data output, science in. And so uh, you, I'll show you the food I eat. Okay. But this is basically a representation of exactly what my body has asked for with two years of continuous cycle measurement. But how different is what your body asks for versus what mine will ask for? Like what are the similarities and what are the differences? Yeah, this goes back to where is your starting point? So are you already at the 98th percentile of optimization? No, absolutely no. <laughs> so, yeah, so this question is not relevant because a lot of people focus on that of like, okay, but what's the translatability? What you'll see in the diet is there are basic things like vegetables and berries that we're all familiar with eating in our lives. 
And so when you're at the level of you're just trying to tame the worst self-destructive behaviors, just start with the most basic stuff and then you can work your way up. And then if we get into that granular discussion of like, what about that supplement for you versus me and how we can respond? Sure. But like, let's not go to that level yet. Let's just- I'm not there. <laughs> just the- <laughs> You're ba- looking at me and you're realizing I'm Just not the there. basics. Yeah. And okay. This is the thing with the sleep. And so like, just play the absolute basics while you're at. Okay. And the basics are things we all truly know. We, we not follow it, but it's like, be healthy, eat things that come from- Yeah. Trees or animals. I mean, this is the funny thing about Blueprint is it's simultaneously, I think, one of the biggest ideas in the entire world right now. Also, the most basic thing we all know. Get good sleep. Eat your veggies. Don't do self-destructive behaviors. Yeah. Like, it's really, really simple. But you know, the thing is, like, I think the reason why I keep digging is everyone wants literally a Blueprint. Like, I want you to tell me right now, Erica, eat this many calories, eat this food and this food, no pasta, no rice. I just, I want a blueprint. Yeah. Eat, sleep eight hours. Yeah, and that's what I've done. So my, I have that. I've published it all for free. So if somebody wants to do exactly what I'm doing, it's all there for free for you to do. Everything's there. If we sober up and we look at the situation, we can see this as the exchange we're willing to say, we're willing to exchange our entire future existence to hold on to a few vices or a few norms We've really missed the point on where we're at in, in this trajectory of the potential of human. I don't disagree. I think my, my thing is just what I said to you earlier. I think you have the right idea and you are right, but I think you are too early for this to get adopted. I applaud you for being open-minded. This is an incredibly <laughs> difficult conversation because it, it attacks what feels like is you, like the very thing that makes you, and you can't even see this thing acting within. And so you've been very open-minded. You know, whenever I'm stressed because I have these back issues, I get like these nerve pains across and I can feel like I physically am stressed because this is forcing me to confront this. Yeah, that's right. That's why I think I get so much hate is it, it pings these systems inside of us. Yeah. And these systems know they're desperate for their vice control. They're addicted. They don't want to be unaddicted. And it hits that and they're just vomits out this hate. They'll take any angle they can to try to tear me down because it's so threatening to what their existence is. And it, but it takes a legitimate two or three hour long conversation to yep. slowly walk through this to get to the point where we're like, okay, like we're kind of in a, an interesting situation. We're not in control. We're not in power anymore. This emergent with AI, like this situation has changed. Even the past few months is dramatically changed the power structure of the world, a, a different reality. And so it really is, I think, a, a, the opportunity for us to get at the heart of the things that cause us the most pain and give us the most opportunity to experience the best possible future. One question, I don't know if you know this, but I was thinking about addiction, right? Like you're addicted to sugar, you're addicted to cocaine, whatever it is. Is that that's not all mind, right? Isn't you doesn't your body physically get addicted to things that yeah. which is why when you go cold turkey from any of these drugs mm-hmm. or even caffeine, there are physical reactions of sweating yeah. or Yeah. That's all true. If your body knows what is optimal, how does that happen? When I say I try to make this understandable in like letting the body speak, but your point is is valid. When I say but let the body speak, if you just take the heart and you measure your heart, so you have an EKG you blood pressure, uh, arterial plaques, like you do all these different measurements. You can see the data of your heart, then you can look at the medical data and say, what should a 45-year-old heart look like? And then can we make this look and function like a 20-year-old heart? And so what you can do is just take the data, look at the scientific evidence and say, what do we need to do to make this heart function the very best? That's what I talk about in, in the measurement. And so it's not that you don't have body cravings and reactions of this addiction. You certainly do. But it's just saying there's data that standardizes that allows for the body to be stabilized. Like the body can get what it needs to be in these versions that's not addicted. It can be its best self. Mm. So using data to allow the communication to the scientific evidence to go back and forth and stabilize the system, which is why I say to myself, like I've been in the darkest places. I know addiction. I've been addicted. I, I've been in situations where I cannot stop myself from doing things. Like literally I cannot. And so now I, I'm on the other side. I, I feel free of addiction, I feel free of chasing stimulation, I feel free of my roller coaster, I feel the ultimate freedom I never had before in my entire life, where I'm not pushed around by my mind that's constantly bugging me for its next hit. 
or stimulation. I don't have it. It's amazing. Unfortunately, not many people will have the pleasure of sitting down with you for two and a half, three hours and going through this and individually like being challenged like this. That's unfortunate because I do think, again, who knows, 10, 20, 30 years from now, I do think you should be very proud because I think that whenever this is adopted, people are going to be like, remember when we called Brian crazy? Like he was the at the forefront of this. So I think you should be very proud. I Thank you. This conversation. Appreciate that. I know at the beginning you were saying that the hate doesn't impact you. I'm sure to some level it does. Maybe you've just masked it, but it is very, what you're doing, it's very tough to believe in something so much that a lot of people are criticizing you for and getting all of that hate. I do think what you're doing for the world is really good. And I'm, I'm glad that you are a strong enough person to be able to do it because you're strong enough. You also have the right resources. You like you are perfectly positioned to do it, but most people who are perfectly positioned to do big things like this will not do it because they're comfortable and complacent. Like honestly, you could have gone to retire in Hawaii in your multi-million dollar mansion and not effed around with any of these people who are hating on you. But I think it's very cool what you're doing. Thank you. I enjoyed this. Appreciate it. So the podcast is called Erica Taught Me, but really today is all about Brian Taught Me. So what do you want people to be able to walk away from this podcast saying, Brian taught me this? Brian taught me that I am not my thoughts. I am not my desires. I have the power to be my very best self. And this special time and place that we exist in the early 21st century is the most exciting time in the entirety of human existence. And it is our shared opportunity to work towards capturing the magnificent future that we could have together and that we should fight for our lives to inhabit this future. Brilliant. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to the conversation. To learn more about Brian's Project Blueprint, go to the link on the show notes. And if you've enjoyed the podcast, please take a moment to leave a review. It really helps support the work that we're doing. Thanks for listening, and I'll talk to you next Tuesday on a brand new episode of Erica Taught Me.